I want it to be good. You know, I don't want to spend my time, um, you know, clocking in and clocking out and praying for some retirement that's going to happen in the future. I want it to be good now. Power to Live More with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organization, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Mark Brown. Mark was introduced to us via our guest from show number 152, David Nielsen. Mark worked for 22 years as a field instructor and program manager for Outward Bound where he designed some of the first leadership development programs used by hundreds of companies. He was an early pioneer of the coaching industry and has worked with thousands of people and organisations. In 2012, Mark was invited to join the leadership team of a privately held company. As the director of corporate potential, he launched the first expeditionary leadership program to lead the 90-year-old privately held company through the most significant culture change in its history. Mark is the author of Outward Bound Lessons to Live a Life of Leadership, published in 2019. He continues his work as a master coach and organisational guide, helping people in organisations navigate the rapid changes of our modern world. He currently lives in Waimea on the big island of Hawaii. When not working, you'll most likely find Mark disappearing down a trail or paddling a boat somewhere. The wilderness always calls. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Mark Brown of markmbrown.com. Welcome Mark, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, great to be here. So start by telling us a bit about who you are, what you do and where you do it. All right. Well, um, uh, I am a author and I uh, am a consult- consultant. So I spend time working with organizations really around the overall kind of health and um, well-being within the organization, really trying to make places into great places to work for the employees. And I was internal to a company for many years in um, the northeastern part of the United States. And then this last summer, I had the opportunity to relocate to the big island of Hawaii. So that's where I am now and what I do. I'm also the author of a book that's called Outward Bound Lessons to Live a Life of Leadership. Lovely. So I was saying before we came on, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone in Hawaii before. (laughs) It is a beautiful place. It It is everything as advertised and more. I think um, people of a, of a certain age in the UK probably only know of um, Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> we so we have an image, have an image of you um, going around in your canoe, <laughs> so maybe solving murders or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a it's a really quite quite a beautiful place, and really the what people talk about um, the aloha spirit of the islands, but it's actually a very real thing and people are very welcoming here and connective. So it's, it's really a wonderful place to live. It sounds great to me. <laughs> so you said that you're uh, working with businesses around uh, great 
places to work and I guess the sort of uh, health and well-being side from what you've said there's a bit of a crossover with what I do with Engage for Success which is the UK movement around employee engagement and for me the connection between that and, and what I do with Power to Live More um, is around the sort of well-being piece uh, so tell us more, more about what you do with organizations and, and how, how you work with them. Sure. Well, I, um, with my background, which was through Outward Bound, and we can talk about that a little bit later if your uh, listeners want to hear more about that. But I really, um, I started working with organizations as a crossover. There's a branch of Outward Bound that does organizational change work. And what really struck me in having a chance to be a, a facilitator for people as they did leadership programs and building programs and then going inside them as a coach was that I kept seeing leaders who when the leaders approached a real caring and compassion toward their team members at the companies, not only did, did they become more engaged in better places to work, but I kept seeing better results from the company. So that intrigued me. I ended up going back to school and getting a master's degree in, in uh, business and entrepreneurship. And then I really started looking at how do I take the stuff that I learned from my years of um, leading wilderness trips without rebound and put it into organizational change work. So I, I follow a thing that I call expeditionary leadership and through that process really help guide leaders, teams, and organizations how to, how to um, be, be um, both more fully themselves out in the world, but also how to be, be places that are, um, have compassion and empathy and care for, for the world around them as a forefront of what they do. So that's, that's, that's kind of a requisite for me to work with anybody is, a, is that leadership looking to really um, make a stamp in that space. And, and mm -hmm. I've just found that those type of work environments, when people feel safe and they feel supported and cared for, that they really thrive and ultimately companies do better. Mm, yeah, lovely. So I have so many questions that sort of come from that. Um, and I guess the, 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 probably the, to, to get this into order in my head, <laughs> the, the, the first one is probably to go back to what you've said already about the sort of outward bound background. So, so sort of tell us a bit about why or how you got to hear from that sort of quite interesting um, sort of background that you had. It's not the usual route for a, a corporate consultant, is it? Yeah. And I, it's interesting because I started, um, I had a, a uh, undergraduate a bachelor's degree in business and marketing and I started out for a couple small companies I worked for a, a, a business magazine in Florida for a while and then I actually helped start a public relations firm and and I found myself a bit uh, lost in my mid-20s just I was really really successful on paper but it wasn't really translating into me feeling particularly good about who I was or what I was doing and I had some friends who had taken outward bound courses in college who suggested I take an outward bound course so I never know when people are listening how much they know about outward bound but it actually was founded um, in the UK and the founder Kurt Hahn really firmly believed that um, we need to educate the whole human being and that the wilderness just became the easiest place to do that but it's the, the trips that that I let out out in the wilderness are, are a means, not an end. So you don't, you don't go on an outward bound course to become a better paddler or a better hiker. You go there really to find the self-confidence in yourself, resilience, belief in yourself. Um, there's a couple premises behind outward bound. One is that people are far more capable than they realize. And two, that we, we really need each other to be successful. So you, you focus on the community that you're working with and really giving people the tools to overcome adversity and and I saw time and time again on my wilderness trips just 
people finding the best of themselves. And, and that really, it's very inspiring to get to be a part of that as a leader. So I, I feel like that's what I look to do in my life after Outrebound. You get a little spoiled when you get out there in the wilderness and you get to see people constantly finding the best in themselves. I came to um, expect that that would, would be what my life was like. So within the work context, Outrebound has a branch that's called Outrebound Professional here in the States, and it's all focused on organizational work. So I started doing that work more than 20 years ago, and then I actually had a chance to get trained early on as a business coach and I started really translating the same type of experience. So if you look at what happens on Outward Bound, a group comes together, they form some um, kind of a charter, if you will, about how they want to operate together. And then they really go into un, un, uh, uncharted territory together and they face adversity through that adversity. They find out more about themselves. So I lead groups through that type of an experience in an organizational standpoint. So you really don't have to use, you don't have to go into the wilderness to have that kind of, you know, heading off into the unknown. Outward bound is a nautical term for when a ship leaves the safety of its harbor. And the reality is, if you look at the rapid change that we're facing in the world right now, organizationals, um, organizational change, the, the, disruptions that are happening through artificial intelligence, through climate change. There's so many pressures that any organization is under. So I would argue that they're all, they're all facing that adversity. They're all kind of outward bound. And so having leaders who can guide people through that change by focusing on the, the safety and abilities of the group, it's one of the real tenets of outward bound. If you do your job well as an outward bound structure, then at the end of the, at the end of the expedition, there's a thing called the final expedition where the group doesn't need you at all. They can completely function on their own. And that, that's how I operate as both as an external consultant. And then I actually, I was invited to join a leadership team of a company. So I spent um, almost eight years on a leadership team guiding the company through a complete organizational change. And I use these principles to do that. I found it interesting, actually, that you said that they don't have to go out into the wilderness sort of thing, because um, that was going to be a, a question, which is, you know, that uh, this sort of stuff sounds really exciting to a proportion of the population, but there's, there's a, a certain group of people who would, you know, run a mile and not want to do, um, you know, expeditions out in the wilderness and all that sort of thing. So interesting that you then said, you know, that doesn't have to be how it works. So do you sort of take people into the wilderness when it's not really the wilderness? <laughs> sure. Well, I can, I'll give you an example from someone yeah. that I interviewed. So in, in the book that I wrote, Outward Lessons to Live a Life of Leadership, I interviewed um, 15 people who had been like me, who had had Outward experiences in their life, either as a participant or an instructor. And then they went on to, to, um, to lead, lead organizations out there in the world. So one of those people was a man named Michael Welp, and um, he and a partner who was also a former Outerbound instructor, they founded an organization that they um, call White Men as Full Diversity Partners, and they've spent, again, almost 20 years working inside of corporations around the world, and the way Michael describes it is, you know, they 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 replace the wilderness with with kind of white male privilege and diversity as the the uncomfortable wilderness, if you will, that people go through. So they, they bring people into a, anywhere from three-day workshops to long-term 
contract relationships with major corporations and governmental agencies where they really they push the they push the men to go into that space of discomfort, just like the, the wilderness does that. If you go out, most people don't have experience in the wilderness. So if you were to go out, like Outer Bound was founded in, um, in sailing boats out on the North Sea in Britain. So if you imagine going out in a small boat with a group of other people and, and going on a multi-day sailing excursion with zero experience in the wintertime when it's cold and wet, you can get an idea of, you know, that would probably be intense for you. And, <laughs> recognizing that okay there are lots of things that can get people into a place of adversity and adversity really is a key place of deep learning within the outbound context uh, mm -hmm. another person i interviewed is a former united states senator and he talked about when he served in the u.s senate which um and he was a congressman before that he he talked about the fact that just being on the floor of the congress and the conflicts and things that arise felt exactly like being on a mountaineering expedition to him. So he used the same skills that he had learned as an outward bound leader to help uh, guide his ability to legislate with people who often had very different perspectives of him. So it's really, it's really looking at, um, do we walk into, are we willing to walk into a place where we don't have the answers? Are we willing to um, stretch ourselves beyond our known skills? And when we get into that place of unknown, do we build relationships with other people? Uh, do we master the skills that are necessary in anywhere that in any um, type of work that we're doing, whether it's you know interpersonal mastery of interpersonal skills or whether it's a, a technical skill set? Again, in outward bound, if you were I worked up in uh, northern Minnesota for a number of years, so people took canoe expeditions. So the first day you get in a canoe, most people don't even know how to, how to hold the paddle, let alone move a canoe through the water and we're asking them to paddle across the lake to get to their campsite the first night so you can imagine again in the beginning it's very uncomfortable by the end of that trip they are able to canoe portage their boats um, navigate without any input from an instructor and as they learn those skills there's a sense of confidence so a big part of the process that I teach leaders to do is to learn how to become a teacher of the skills that your team needs to be successful so it starts with assessing what is that? What are the technical skills? What are the interpersonal skills that a team needs to operate self-sufficiently? And then as a leader, we should become a guide and coach. So we really need to spend our time focused on, you know, what, what I call teachable moments, looking for those opportunities when the team falters or struggles, and then being prepared to step in, not with an answer, but with some good coaching about allowing that person to find their own answers. Mm. So how frustrated do you get when you hear about these companies that do, I don't know, games and, I don't know, jollies and call it team building or, or whatever for organisations? Yeah. It's like there's a bit of real contrast there. Somebody was asking the other day in a meeting about, you know, always, my organisation's talking about doing some team building. Do you think it's worth it? And clearly what they were talking about is not what you're talking about. Well, it's interesting because I think, I've seen, again, in the, my perspective is obviously from being in the States, so I don't know, I don't know the parallels with where you are, but, but like we would take people rock climbing or uh, a ropes course is kind of a traditional experience that's used. Um, and they became events, you know, so suddenly a company is 
they're going to go do a ropes course and it became more of an adventure experience for people and which is fine i don't have anything against that but without a real focused purpose and without a um, a really good facilitator it's it, it can just be an adventure experience and again i'm, I'm not going to judge that but if you want to do this to learn or grow it depends you know, you have to focus on what are those activities. So when I when I got hired by this company in New England in the Northeast to help lead them through organizational change, we did a day of team building, but it was very intensely focused. Those the games, if you will, that we played were were designed to to um, encourage conversation or to get at problem solving or to put them sometimes in an unsolvable problem to see how they would respond. Mm -hmm. so that we could then teach them how to talk with each other. What do you do when something of sudden appears simple, but you can't solve it? Because that happens every day in a business environment, right? We're faced with suddenly the market changed and what we're doing, are there, you know, there's a, there's so much disruption that the rules we thought we were playing by are no longer true anymore. So how, how do we respond to that? And that requires a way of thinking. So it, the, the game in and of itself, I think is, isn't the question I would come back to with a company if I were going to do team building, I'd say, well, it's not, it's not the activity, it's the ability of the person facilitating the activity. And then secondarily, what's the follow-up? So if you just do a team building and then you go right back to the same environment with no change, then you, again, you might have a nice outing, but you won't make lasting change unless you really focus. And I always focus, I always start my journey at the top. If the, if the leadership of the company isn't, bought into becoming a different kind of company then it's not a, I would I would pass on working with a company like that simply because I know that whatever you do with those employees will only be short-term and that can cause frustration too there's nothing worse than being encouraged to become a team but then not ever getting the tools to be a team yeah yeah and as you say it fundamentally comes down to the facilitator the the person that's sort of helping to to make that change sort of, or embed that change. Right. With and there's, yeah, absolutely nothing wrong with the company celebrating itself by going out and having fun together. So I'm not opposed to that. So if they want to go have an, a, you know, a day of team building games to celebrate success and to be outside, that's, I say more power to that. But if you're doing that, believing that's going to change your company, probably not. Hmm. So how does that translate into what your days look like? And in common with most of my guests, I'm sure you'll say they're all different. <laughs> so give us a right. bit of an idea of, of how, how you're working. Well, I'm on a new pathway for myself too. So I, I authored a book that came out in October and I spent a lot of the fall um, on book promotion tour. And then there's a couple companies that I've worked with longer term. So, so the difference is that I was, I was part of a leadership team until just, a little little less than a year ago and as I came come out on my own I work um, I'll come into an organization and really lay that foundational work so the beginning of the work that I do is um, is face to face and then it becomes a more of a coaching relationship after that so I spend time on you know either video calls or or over the computer talking with people and really focusing on the leaders insights into what's happening and how they're responding to that so they really they're they're you know i i put them on what i call leadership expeditions so i put them on a, a journey to change their leadership style 
to help impact their teams to make a different kind of company so that it can be a better um, a better corporate citizen in the world. So that's the process. Lovely. And how do you go about organizing yourself to do that? Well, like I guess any consultancy, you know, I lay out a firm um, proposal of how the process will work, and then uh, that that in-person time followed by coaching time becomes a. That, that for me, the biggest challenge is just that I'm I'm um, several thousand miles from the west coast of the United States, so it's more being prepared to get up early in the morning to be available to to United States clients and managing my time well so I can um, be focused and working while I'm now working from home. So you're doing a reasonable amount of your work online and as you say, over the phone, you know, and, and time difference is an issue. What sort of tools and apps are you employing to make sure that you can do the things that you need to do and presumably whilst also enjoying your lovely environment? Right. So that's the great thing about it is I'm up early and then I tend to finish early in the afternoon. So it gives me a, a, the afternoon to enjoy the, I'm, I'm just uh, 10, 10 minutes from the ocean. So it's great to be able to spend time in beautiful Hawaii that way. But uh, I, my website, I, um, I have online training people can participate in it. And I, I, I use a platform called Kajabi for that because it allows me to really um, quickly put up learning and have it in a place where people can log in and access it, as well as um, hosting some video learning. I'm, I'm a, a person who's a, been a big fan of Zoom for a number of years. So that's how I, that's the platform that I use to, um, to video chat with people. And, and I actually got um, almost my, whole company then based on the, uh, the Google business platform. I actually started working with that with a couple past jobs. So it's just something I've been more comfortable with. And so when I, when I start working with a new client, I build out uh, folders for them that are shared so they can access them and I can access them. And even through, um, through uh, uh, my, my phone system is actually tied through Google. So I can actually get on a phone straight through my computer Click them and I go to my my business Gmail account and can click right on a and make a phone call straight through there so that I'm actually calling through the computer, which saves me on using up mobile units and minutes and things. So it's mm -hmm. um, I found it to be really helpful just to work through the Google Business platform. Yeah, and was this all part of a, a master plan to end up with a, a, a business and lifestyle that that sort of fitted with? Uh, you know what you wanted i presumably you know the the, the lovely environment the uh, the weather the the beach and so on is that how you've ended up where you are now or is it yeah. a lucky coincidence <laughs> no it was really, it was really quite deliberate i'm um, i have a i have a uh, soon to be high school student he's in his last year of middle school who really um, is a had a deep just a remarkable to see someone so clear about who they want to be from a very young age, but a very deep focus interest in the marine world and marine science. So we, we started a journey of looking for a place for him to go to school and start this learning early on. That's what drew us out here to Hawaii for the first time. And then when we got here, it was like, okay, you know, I, I was, I was one of six people on leadership of a company when we first visited out here and, 
had to figure out how will we make this work. So we started planning a few years ago to make this transition. The, the other reasons that we chose here are you know, beyond the, the obvious beauty of the place is the, the, we live in a very small town that's just a deep sense of community and it's a very caring place. So we, we my wife and I wanted to live in a, a place where we knew we could make connections easily and where our son could pursue his education. So that started this master plan, if you will. And then I, I through serendipity or luck, depending on how you choose to look at it, I ended up meeting a publisher, Barrett Kohler, out of San Francisco a few years ago. And they encouraged me to take a look at writing the book that I wrote, Our Adolescence to Live a Life of Leadership. So when that book was completed, it was published in October of 2019. It really, I knew that I was going to be pulled more away from the full-time work that I was doing. And I, I was ready as well. I spent seven years inside as a, you know, one of the leaders of the company. And I, I ran multiple departments. And um, I, I think I, I went from a very focused balance in my life to really being fully experiencing what a, what a, but an over busy executive feels like. So I was ready for a little bit of a shift in gear. So this, this whole move for us was very deliberate and, uh, and it, it's been a chance for me to in some ways to reboot my life and focus on how I want to live. And really it's been wonderful. And I don't mind the travel. I'm, I, I'm back on mainland for meeting with clients or promoting the book and that it's a concentrated time. So I'll spend two or two or three weeks in a quarter on the road and the rest of the time I get to work in this beautiful place and work from home. So it's, it's really, it's been wonderful. Mm, that sounds great. So tell us more about the book and, and how Outward Bound has, I mean, we've talked about how you um, sort of changed your life over the years and have ended up using all those sort of principles in, in what you're doing now, but tell us what you're teaching us in the book. <laughs> In, in, you know, in, you know 10 minutes. <laughs> sure. So, so, so there's a, our bound in the United States uses a, a motto, which is to serve, to strive and not to yield. It's from a Tennyson poem. And that book is laid out in that, um, the structure of that motto. And really, if you look at what, what I, um, am promoting and what I found from the people I interviewed, um, I'll give you an, again another example. Arthur Blank, who founded the Home Depot, is one of the people who was interviewed in the book, and he he really took to heart the you know, his decades of involvement with Outward Bound, but the motto of service to others and service to community. So, as a leader, that's a big piece of the of the pie. And for me, that's it's. I guess I'm fortunate some in life, but I'm. I'm careful about who I'll choose to work with. So if a, if a leader doesn't want to use their, their leadership and their the organization that they lead to help improve the world, it's for me, that's a pass. I'm not going to spend time with companies that don't um, have that type of a mission focus. So we really, in the beginning, we're focusing on getting clarity around that purpose. What's that big why that that company exists. And then a lot of the early time is aligning people within the organization, particularly the people that that leader will touch the most with 
with the values and purpose, making sure we have the right people in the right seats so that we can you know, all row in the same direction. It's really important that we do that work up front. And then um, really unleashing, <laughs> unleashing the power of the people within the, within the organization. One of the companies that I got to learn more about that really does an outstanding job on this is uh, the Kohler companies that produce plumbing, you know, like sinks and toilets and things. They're, they're mm-hmm. international with tens of thousands of employees. And uh, Laura Kohler, who, who's um, on the executive leadership team, was a, was a peer of mine, actually, as an outward instructor many years ago. But then she, you know, moved back into the family business. But they're, they're the Kohler company is actually utilizing the talent of their employees to try to solve worldwide problems that are aligned with the United Nations. So for instance, one of the challenges that they've taken on is providing clean drinking water around the world. And, and they have a, they have a, a internal organization that invites employees to become a part of solving these problems. And so people choose to become a part of it depending on where they live and work. So they, they actually, they designed some amazing water filtration systems really that came out of a deep need in where some of their factories are in India. And when the hurricanes hit the Caribbean and the Southeastern United States a couple of years ago, because of the, the design work that Kohler had done, they were able to quickly deploy um, several hundred thousand of these drinking filtration systems to, to help some of the islands that were severely damaged to, to get their infrastructure back in place by providing clean drinking water at schools and governmental agencies very quickly. And that, that all came from the, the heart and design of the employees. And it's a great example of when you start with a, with a compassionate leader and begin to focus on aligning values and purpose. And, and if, if you just want to make, a, uh, make money selling a toilet, Kohler's probably not going to, you know, not going to be the place that you get drawn to. They're really drawing people who have a mission-centered um, approach to life and are passionate about not only the work they do, but making the world a better place. And that combination is really magical. And you um, you touched on values um, at some point through that. Um, it strikes me that it's something that, all of this work that you're doing must be really, I mean, you talked about purpose as well, is really related to, it, it, it just seems quite a deep way of sort of operating within organisations. What's, what's that done in terms of your, your own values, your involvement with Outward Bound and, and working with these organisations? Well, I think when I, so to go back to how I started, so I think I was, you know, kind of a, maybe a typical young adult in my twenties that I, I didn't necessarily have a good sense of who I was. I was figuring that out and Outward Bound really gave me a platform to learn that when I, when I took my course as a, as a participant, it was incredibly empowering, but I think more than anything else, I was really drawn to the leaders. And I, I wrote in my book that I wasn't sure what it was that they had, but I knew that I wanted that. And I think as I look back and reflect on it, I was really around incredibly authentic people, maybe for the first time in my life, who were genuinely only wanted the best of me. They didn't want anything else. They wanted to keep me safe out there, but they really, then they wanted me to push myself to find the best in myself. And it, it's quite alluring. And I've really lived my life since then. And 
um, based on that mantra, I really do feel like I'm, I'm still a guide of people. And whether it's in the wilderness or inside a company, I frame my life that way. Um, subsequently, I, you know, I went to graduate school. I learned the, the practical business side of things as well. And I, I really, I think I've come to understand more than anything else that as we go through this change again, this, this disruptive time in our history, that it's really about humanity more than anything else right now. It's why I feel like people who have my background are maybe needed more now than ever, because um, as machines do more and more than people did, what we need to do is find a way to harness the, the in, internal intelligence of people and compassionate and empathy. I, I really feel that we can solve some of these great problems in the world right now because we're freeing up people from the, you know, if a, if a manager doesn't have to worry day to day about get things getting done, can they now start to look at more of these heart centric things? And you're starting to see more and more out in the, in the press um, talking about leaders need empathy, leaders need compassion. Like that's not a conversation that I heard, you know, five years ago or six years ago beyond a very small elite group of people. Now it seems to be coming more into the lexicon of the business language and, and, it's the heart of our bound. Ultimately, the end goal of our bound is to create a more compassionate human being who is really willing to serve something beyond themselves. That's why Kirkon founded our bound. And, and I live by those principles and the work that I've done. Um, and it, I think for me, our bound as an employee gave me a place to really fully discover my own self my skills and the talents and i'm grateful for the years that i worked for them and and at the same time it's allowed me to take that out into the world and as as i i saw in my last place of employment when we really created that safe environment and focused on teaching managers how to care for their employees how to coach how to create an atmosphere that was a inclusive that people really flourished and you know my 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 greatest memories of being a leader aren't how much money did the company make, but they were like, you know, like I'm, I'm an entry level employee telling me, oh, she just bought her first house and beaming with pride because she didn't think she was ever going to be able to do something like that. And, um, or watching people become close inside the workplace and recognizing that, you know, we spend, we spend as much time in work or more time in work than we do with our, you know, families at home. So, you know, for me personally, I, if I'm going to give that much of my life to something, I want it to be good. You know, I don't want to spend my time, um, you know, clocking in and clocking out and praying for some retirement that's going to happen in the future. I want it to be good now. And, and I've been really lucky in my life that I've been able to mostly live that way. And, and all those factors that I think cause people to struggle in life, you know, if you're, if you're not feeling safe, if you're not feeling supported, and you spend eight or 10 hours a day in an environment like that, it's really difficult to stay emotionally healthy. But if you're in an environment like that, it makes everything else better. It makes your home life better. It's easier to be physically healthy. Um, it's easier to manage stress differently when you know that people support you. If you feel like you're at risk or, you know, if I don't make this budget, I'm going to get fired or whatever it may be. If you're under that type of a stress, stress, it's very, it's very difficult to stay healthy then. Mm, absolutely. It's funny, I was talking at a, a conference uh, about employee engagement yesterday and um, there was quite a lot of talk about 
compassion. Uh, there's a, a researcher with um, Holt, uh, what they're called Holt Ashridge, Ashridge, I think now, it's a business school, and uh, Amy, Dr. Amy Bradley, her name is, she was talking uh, how about how much research she's been doing around the whole concept of compassion in the workplace. And um, it does seem when people, there's a, there's so much talk about mental health and well-being and, and all that stuff at the moment, but I do still feel that a lot of organizations like when they talk about oh can you come and talk about well-being or could you run some well-being training they're sort of coming from the let's provide free fruit in the canteen every week and you know let's do a step challenge and you know that that sort of attitude when for me the well-being is exactly what you're talking about it's about how you treat people and the environment that you're creating and how you're helping people to deal with stressful situations and how we're helping people navigate the sort of difficult business world you know at the moment sort of thing uh, and how we're managing people and 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 all that stuff um you know well-being around things like you know eating well and exercising all that sort of stuff is obviously vitally important too but that just seems to be a, a lot of the focus when organizations are talking well-being when actually the fundamentals of treating people you know, as human beings <laughs> would go so much further if that's what they focused on instead. And they're not, they're not, they're not complicated things to change, but that doesn't make them easy. So I think that, you know, a lot of, you know, like I, I, one of the organizations that I've been involved with is in the United States is in the auto industry. And so you look at traditionally there's, you know, auto, auto, um, franchises in the United States are all independently owned companies, right? So it's a small business that, you know, operates in a town and they sell cars and fix cars and they traditionally have a terrible reputation in the world. And it's kind of that place where, you know, as a consumer, I never thought about the, the salesperson when I bought a car. I just knew that I had to armor up and go in and play all the games that they were going to play so I didn't get taken advantage of. It never once dawned on me that that was a human being sitting there selling me the car and and traditionally, salespeople have a, you know, the industry has a 70% turnover rate and a high degree of divorce and alcoholism and drug abuse just because it's a terrible environment for employees. So to go into there and say, well, let's, what if we don't, what if we pay people a fair wage? What if we actually just post prices and don't, don't make people negotiate for a car? What if we focus on the experience that people have, because this is a major purchase, right? It's tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, the only things that people ever are going to spend more money on are buying a house and educating their kids. And it didn't used to be educating your kids, but now, you know, but the first two, when you buy a house and you educate your children, you hope that those are appreciating assets, right? You invest in them because you hope it's going to be better in the future. You buy a car and it, and it's worth 30% less the minute you get it off the lot. So it's, it, mostly a terrible experience for people so in the the place where i worked in new england we we eliminated you know commissions we paid people a fair wage we posted prices we really focused on the experience of the buyer and it it we also changed the sales floor so when i left when i left um the company where i was working we had gotten up to almost 50 percent women on the floor and we had women in leadership in every every store that we had and the thing was the, the biggest thing that was different was that uh, people were were highly collaborative and how they worked there was no fear because it wasn't like oh this my my coworkers isn't going to steal my deal and take my money from me and the, 
the the classic hitting one person against another that happens in that environment. But the the turnover in the company drops to to below fifteen percent, and and not only that, but health health costs went down. So the amount of amount of money that the company was spending on health insurance and things dropped also. And what you had was these environments that were really rich. So people pick up on that, right? People would 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 co- constantly comment on their reviews of everyone seems so happy here. It was I, I couldn't believe that I could be that I could trust these people to help me. And 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 so people were. I literally had some people. Uh, had a woman buy a car and come back 30 minutes later with roses and hand them out on the sales floor because she was so happy and relieved about the experience. But I, I would say you could do that anywhere. You know, it happened in a car dealership. It can happen anywhere if, you, if you're willing to look at, well, how do I pay people? How do I treat people? What's the environment? And that has to, that has to align with the values of the ownership, really. It starts if the owners don't ownership or the senior leadership doesn't support this and then take it all the way down through the company. That alignment piece is, is the, is the critical piece is do we, do we say that we want to have a compassionate workplace, but then we have a, a frontline manager who's, you know, using old school tactics. And if that's the case, then you're going to be in trouble, right? It's going to, it's not going to work. So you have to do that alignment piece where you really do focus on, do we walk the talk and, and, that can be scary for people who run businesses because you, you certainly can experience a dip in income production on a short term as you make those changes. But it's like anything. If you, if you follow through, what you'll see is the soaring at the end and companies like this far outperform companies that mm-hmm. don't operate like this. Yeah, no, exactly. So given all the changes that have happened to you through your career and, and now where you are, um, in your lovely environment, having written the book and so on, do you think you've effectively made yourself unemployable now? <laughs> We're looking at, uh, you know, the corporate situation and, and you're, you know, saying that, uh, you know, you've got this this life that you've crafted particularly uh, now. It doesn't seem like it would, um, like for most of us, then work to go back and be working in one of those environments that we're trying to help from the outside. <laughs> well, I think that that, you know, whether I go internal or external, I think some of it depends upon, you know, I would really, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't go back and work for an organization. I would as long as I felt that the leadership was invested in um, either creating a company like that or being a company like that. You know, and there's a movement in the United States called conscious capitalism. And there's a lot of companies that are really good companies making those changes and certainly would, you know, I would join a company like that. And I also, I feel like there's, um, there's always value to me in being that person that goes and helps guide companies to that place. So I've mentored several young leaders into helping create companies like that. And that's probably the role that I'll stay in is, is as a consultant in one way or another, whether it's internal or external to help guide leaders who, who want to create an environment, but maybe don't know how. And, and I think that's what I've learned in my life is there's really a process you can go through to get you to a place where you can have a really amazing company and you can be profitable. It's not an either or, but I think that's often the fear people that they're going to give up this lifestyle or something. And, and maybe that's true. Like if you, if your goal is to 
you know, make yourself a billionaire at the cost of all of your employees and at the cost of your community, then you would have to give that up to, you know, for me to work with you. But I, I, I don't, I don't think you have to give up the, the financial success of a company. I just don't think that that's the end goal for me anyway. It's not, never been the end goal. It's more the, you know, the byproduct of doing these other things well. Yeah, yeah. So how do you um, personally sort of keep learning and, and keep yourself up to date with what's happening? Well, I've been fortunate um, the, the, through the publisher that I work with. I'm, I'm part of, a, um, of an author group. So when I was launching my book, uh, this group of other authors who are all business leaders because these are all these are um, non, non-profit books around anything from management to leadership purpose, all that type of stuff. But um, there's a team, team of um, about 30 authors. And so uh, when my book was coming out, my book was sent out to all of them and they read it and they offered feedback and support. And, um, and now, now I get to do the same. So I, I uh, get about two books a month that I um, are sent to me and then I get to read them and support those authors on their journey, those other business leaders. But I'm just amazed at one, the synergy that I'm finding. I've been on several webinars and calls with these other authors who are all, you know, focusing on purpose and compassion. And there's, I, I feel really there's a strong movement of that going on. So by, by being a part of that collective, I'm, I'm getting to, to read their, their, um, their take on it, if you will. And, and I find that really enriching. So I, I read a book or two a month that's a, that is business related. And then I also, I try to, um, I try, I, I wish I could tell you that I do this daily, but I don't, but I, it's my striving toward it. But several times a week, I read things that to me are just uplifting. So it might be a, like a, uh, reading the mystic poet Rumi or something, you know, I have a list of books like that, that I just turn to for a page or two of reading. I start and end my day with, uh, gratitudes. So I, um, the last thing I do before closing my eyes at night is to run through the things that I feel most grateful for in my life and, and, and remind myself of that. And then when I wake up, I, I go back to that gratitude list and then I focus my day on knowing that, you know, I really am pretty fortunate. You know, I, 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 I pulled off, I pulled off this thing that's allowed me to live in an amazing place and do really meaningful work. And, and if I don't reflect on that, I, I, I can fall into the, you know, Ooh, where's the next client going to come from? Or, you know, like there's, I feel like there's always, there's always something that can stress you out if you put your energy on it and you can live in, gratitude and joy as well and it really just depends on where you put your attention so I, I'm very conscious about that yeah 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 so let's get a question about those days where it all goes horribly wrong or, or are you in such paradise it never does <laughs> no I certainly have those days um and I'm you know so so again for me the intent is to to come back to gratitude at the end of the day even when things go mm-hmm. wrong um yeah the great thing about a, having had a life in Outward Bound is that um, I experienced a lot of things that went wrong out in the deep wilderness and, and saw the positive outcomes. So it's a reminder for me. It's, it's, it's a constant reminder. And then I, you know, I'm, I have a 
a great partner in life to talk through things with. So my, my wife is a psychologist and a, also a, a, um, she's a wellness and health coach. So we, we, we talk daily just to keep ourselves grounded. But for me, I try to shake that off. I don't usually carry things forward beyond a day or two at the most before it's like just shake it off and get back get back into that space right and and most things i've found most things are are temporary um and i try to find some lesson in it if i can like what what am i what do i need to learn about myself here if i'm if i'm struggling or things have fallen apart you know it's like you know they can be simple things like oh my gosh i spend a bunch of time on the technology it's like i'm a small business owner right so i spend a whole bunch of time working on my website and then some glitch happens and, and it's easy to let that just drive you nuts, you know? So it's like, okay, <laughs> go take a walk and come back to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what about those days where you get to live more? So that's where I talk about getting to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do. What do those days look like for you? Well, they certainly are, they are contemplative and meditative for me. So if I've taken time to do some, meditative exercise some mindfulness focused stuff that um is blessing i try to again i try to walk every day i don't make it every day but it's getting out into the beauty of where i live and that's just re-energizing to me um, i'm i'm at the water probably two or three times a week so i'm either i'm either with the mask and snorkel on in the water or walking on the shore um, or um, fishing with my sun so those are those things that happen like two three times a week at least and mm -hmm. are things that really restore me and and ultimately i think human connection and and so so being able to talk with people about things that have meaning um in my life are it's really important so i have i have a couple groups that i um I am a part of virtually that keep me connected there and then really for us it's you know, again, we live in a place where the the aloha is alive and well. So it's mm -hmm. it's maybe they call it talking story here in Hawaii. It may be sitting there for twenty or thirty minutes, taking the time to talk to a neighbor, as opposed to rushing back to make an appointment. And yeah, I try to live. I try to live in that space, and when I do that, ultimately, the days are pretty good. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Well, thank you for joining me, Mark. It's been really interesting talking to you. Tell people how they can find out more about you, get in touch, and find out about your book. Yeah, so so my website is markmbrown.com. There you can find all about exhibitionary leadership, which is my process of really taking the lessons from Outward Bound and putting it into the world. My book is Outward Bound Lessons to Live a Life of Leadership, and you can find that on Amazon.com or um, any other online um book purchasing process um, if that's not the one you want to buy from but um, it, it's mm -hmm. certainly a place where people can pick up the book or um, there's an audible version they can listen to it if they're not a reader and um, that, that those are the two two best and easiest places to find me lovely thank you thanks all this information is available in the show notes if you go to powertolivemore.com forward slash in this case 156 then you'll find them there. This week I want to talk to you about something new that I'm starting next week. I've been thinking for quite a long time about resurrecting a networking group that I ran for a good few years in my local area. It was very much focused on connecting people and having really great 
conversations and learning opportunities as part of the event. So it wasn't very structured and most of my job on the night was to make sure that everybody got to speak to everybody at some stage and so it was about connecting people introducing people finding sort of commonalities things that people would find interesting about each other and so on since my business changed and stopped becoming a local business i stopped the networking but then wanted to start it again in some way and i've been numbing and ahhing about it for quite a long time thinking about whether i would start a walking group or whether it would be at lunchtime or in the afternoons or whatever and some of the timings were more about suiting me than they were about suiting everybody else to be frank and it struck me having gone on a call myself uh, last week that actually online at the moment there's a real opportunity because obviously most people with the sort of business that um, I have the coaches and consultants are working from home and doing a lot more online meetings and conversations and learnings and delivery and I went on a a networking event where we used zoom and were able to go into breakout rooms to be able to speak to small groups of the people that were on the group so we didn't just have like one big group and try and all talk and listen and everything else which would have been quite difficult we were actually split off to have little sort of mini conversations and then came back together to share the sort of findings and it worked really really well so I saw it as an opportunity to see if I could set up an online networking group where we use the same principles as I used with my original group, but that is obviously online and using Zoom with a bit of structure in terms of creating some learning opportunities as well. So I've started a group. Uh, It's going to be the first one is this coming Monday, which is Monday the 4th of May. And the intention is to do them every Monday for the foreseeable future. And as we come out of lockdown, then I'll start to think about how that um, happens moving forwards. But it's two, two till four British summertime on Monday and it's free. It's aimed at coaches and consultants, but anyone's welcome to come. And then they're going to be, I was going to say they're usually, but I haven't done them yet, have I? <laughs> they're going to be uh, really interesting, valuable Uh, opportunities to get to know new people and as I said that's what they used to be like when they were offline and in real life so let's hope I can emulate um, and make it even better online on Monday so if you're interested you just need to go to powertolivemore.com forward slash networking and that will take you into the Eventbrite booking uh, for what will in future be called counterpoint networking so You just need to use powertolivemore.com forward slash networking and then you can book in if you're interested in joining us for the inaugural version on Monday. If you're listening to this after then, then hopefully we're still running and the website will be live, which is counterpointnetworking.co.uk. So hope to see you on Monday or at a future event. And as ever, the show notes for this week's show are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 156. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. Use your power to live more. 